0: Good Good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, my name is Victoria. I will be reading today's passage. Um, you can turn with me in your Bibles. We are reading Matthew 9 verses 35 to38. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And this is the word of God. It's my privilege to introduce to you, uh, for the first time in the sense of him being here and physically in 3d version <laughs> david Mannon, he's uh one of our supported missionaries he works with uh international students inc right uh alvar at rutgers university and uh, he specifically to international students from all over you will hear more of that in a minute but yeah he, i've known david the first time i was trying to remember when i met you the for uh for the first time with pastor ian ma i think it must have been back in 2010 Ish, 20, I don't know, I can't remember, too. It gets fuzzy when you get my age. So, but without further ado, David, why don't you come and share with us? Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Can you hear me now? Okay, good. It always helps to start off being able to be heard. So, (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know when Jeff and I first met, but I came to serve with International Students Incorporated at Rutgers in 2010, uh, so I've been here for about 13 years. Um, prior to that, we were living in the southern part of New Jersey, and prior to that, I was a pastor on staff at a church in Monmouth County, so I've lived and ministered in New Jersey for quite a while, um, and it's a great privilege to be involved in his work among international students. We. Um, We meet students from all over the world. Uh, So that's one of the great blessings of doing what we do is meeting people from other cultures. Three of the largest sending countries of international students are China, India, and South Korea. So many of the friendships that we've made over the years have been with students from that country. And it's been a learning experience for me all along the way. I tell people all the time, I'm probably the least likely person to be involved in cross-cultural ministry because where I grew up Uh, Everybody looked like me. Everybody sounded like me. Uh, I grew up in a very homogenous culture and uh, didn't meet anybody from another culture until I left to go to seminary. So that's just a testimony to the power of God and how he can work through anybody. Uh, So I've learned a tremendous amount uh, in our time at Rutgers. Um, That's the best picture I could find of Rutgers University. Uh, So, anyway, uh, some of you might have gone to Rutgers, so don't take offense at that. But uh, this is where our ministry takes place. Uh, It's a global ministry that reaches into the lives of people all around the world, but it takes place locally uh, because we get to meet these students when they come from their home country to study at Rutgers University. So that's one of the thrilling things about what we do is we don't have to cross an ocean to meet somebody from another culture. Uh, We can just go right to our local campus and we can meet somebody probably from any nation in the world uh, at Rutgers. So that is a great, great thing. This, is this on? Yeah, it should be. Okay. Oh, there we go. Now I have the power, the power to advance the slides. Um, Our mission statement, International Students Incorporated, is is, exists to share Christ's love with international students and to equip them for effective service in cooperation with the local church and others. And whether you realize it or not, Uh, your church, Cornerstone, is one of those local churches that we partner with uh, to reach international students. So I just wanted to highlight a couple of ways uh, that we've been partnering together and some of the fruit of that partnership. So last year in September 2022 we had an event out here at the church called a Garage Giveaway. Uh, It's more Uh, practically a free yard sale uh, where people donated items and we invited new students to come and just take what they wanted uh, for their apartment so they got rice cookers and fans and lots of things that they needed for their apartment Uh, and that event took place right out here uh, in the parking lot and that day we had 50 students register for the event which was a great blessing uh, we had a chance to interact with many of them because they would come and they would not just find things they needed, but they actually hung out and took some time to get to know us and for us to get to know them. So that was a great, uh, great uh, benefit of the event. And we also met a student that day. His name is Ho Ang. Uh, He's a graduate student from Vietnam. And up to that point, we had never met anybody from Vietnam. So that was a brand new open door. And then through the relationship with him, we found out that he's a believer in Christ and he shared his testimony with a few students at our next event, and he participated in our English conversation group all of last year. So we got to develop quite a relationship with him. And so that was one of, the, um, one of the blessings of the partnership, is that we got to meet Hoang and build this friendship with him, and hopefully we'll have a chance to continue to disciple him before he moves on to his next place, whether that's somewhere here in the US, or back in his home country, or somewhere else. But uh, that was a great blessing of that day. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so this is the event that we had this September. This was a welcome picnic that we hosted in Johnson Park for new students, and these are the students that showed up that day, and we were able to provide lunch uh, for them at the park through your giving. Uh, So this is, again, another result of our partnership, is that we got to feed all of these students that day in Johnson Park, and this was unique because yeah we did meet students from india but we also met students from pakistan from indonesia from spain from france from the uk we met students from all over the place so this was just you know every year is different but this seems to be what god is doing this year is bringing us into connection with a diverse group of students from many many different places that we have not previously encountered So this was great. I mean, this was an absolute blessing. We had a perfect day for a picnic that day. It was a great chance for us to be generous to them, to show Christ's love to them, and to begin some of those relationships that will be key in sharing the gospel of the kingdom. So again, this is another result of your partnership with us. So I just wanted to start by saying thank you. Uh, We cannot do this ministry without the involvement of the local church, and Cornerstone has been a key partner for us both financially and also in hosting events, so we want to say thank you. We're really, really thankful. So this is the passage that I felt like God was leading me to share this morning. I try to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, and so I wanted to spend some time here um, just picking out some things from this passage that I found to be significant, and hopefully you'll find them to be significant as well. Uh, again, just a reminder that, yes, I'm up here speaking, but the Holy Spirit is really the one that's doing the teaching. Amen? <laughs> He's the one that is speaking through his word uh, to enlighten our minds to his truth and to open our hearts to how he might want us to change as a result of that truth. So this is, this is a very significant passage. It's a very challenging passage. And there are a few things that we're just going to look at from this passage today. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. The first one is this, that Jesus refined his role, his roles, as prophet, priest, and king. So if we look at the context of Matthew chapter 9, that informs our understanding of the passage. And Jesus does some things in the context of this passage that catch people by surprise. Jesus did that a lot, it seemed like. He was always willing to say something or do something that would either get people's attention or make them curious or was kind of like outside the norm of what they expected from a teacher. And so in this passage, uh, the disciples of John come to Jesus and they ask him why his disciples don't fast like the Pharisees do. And he answers that by telling them a story about a bridegroom. Okay, that seems rather odd that he would just tell this story about a bridegroom in response to this question, but what Jesus was trying to do was relate this idea that he is the bridegroom and that the people that would follow him in faith in what would become this global revolutionary movement called the church are his bride. So we are his bride part of his bride is represented here today in this church and Jesus is the bridegroom. Also in the context, he does some supernatural healings. He heals a woman who suffered from a bleeding disorder for 12 years. He restores sight to two blind men. And he raises a girl back to life. Jesus was doing miracles that often involve healing and restoration. Why was he doing that? Well, I believe he was doing it to establish himself as prophet, priest, and king. Now, remember, he was doing this in a Jewish culture. The people around him were Jewish. And Jewish people were familiar with prophets, like the prophet Elijah. They were familiar with priests, like Aaron in the Old Testament. And they were familiar with kings, like David. But Jesus was unlike any prophet or priest or king that they had ever encountered. He was unique. When Jesus taught in the synagogues, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God, and his message was so much bigger than just providing a way of salvation for individual sinners. Sometimes we think that's what the gospel is, but the message that Jesus was proclaiming was so much bigger and broader than that. The gospel of the kingdom includes grace, faith, redemption, justification, sanctification, salvation, glorification, and all those other doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, I realize I'm using those really big theological terms, but simply put, it means this, that the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus was declaring was revolutionary. It was revolutionary because he was teaching things that no person had ever taught before, because it came directly from God. And Jesus is a prophet who spoke of the coming end of the age and the fulfillment of God's promise. We trust in God's promises, amen? One of God's promises is to ultimately defeat the power of Satan and to destroy the power of death and to bring full redemption to his creation. And this is one of the prophecies that Jesus was talking about. So his prophecy went far beyond any of the prophets who came before him. But Jesus was also a priest. A priest is a mediator between man and God. But Jesus wasn't like any of the other priests that the Jews had ever encountered. You see, the other priests would offer sacrifices of animals, and they would have to do it continually, week after week, year after year, and those sacrifices could never fully take away sin. But Jesus offered himself, his own body, as a sacrifice. Once, to eliminate all sin and finally jesus is a king who will rule over the nations forever and ever usually when we think about a king we think about a king over a country or over a particular uh, dominion and they rule for a certain amount of time right because eventually all kings die but jesus was raised from the dead gloriously, and will rule forever and ever, not just over one nation, but over all the nations. Jesus refined his roles as prophet, priest, and king. Need to go to the next slide. There we go. Secondly, we see in this passage that Jesus responded to people with compassion. Now, to me, this is one of the most remarkable qualities about Jesus because the passage tells us that he was going into all the cities and villages, and he was traveling, not in a car, not in a caravan, he was traveling on foot, right? So it's likely that he would have encountered hundreds of people a day, and most of them, not all of them, but most of them came to Jesus looking for something. They were looking for him to do something for him. So he was in the midst of needy people, Hundreds of needy people every day. Now just put yourself in Jesus' place for just a minute. How would you feel about people at the end of the day? I'd be pretty annoyed, <laughs> right? Like after coming into contact with, contact with all these people who were so needy, I'd be pretty not very happy with people. But this text says that Jesus felt compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, they were dispirited. Jesus has a love for people that's so intense, it's hard for us to truly comprehend. His love for you, his love for me, his love for people outside these four walls. Jesus' love is intense. And Jesus commissions us to love people in the same way that he demonstrated his love to us. Loving people this way means treating people as people and not as projects. We're often tempted to try and produce the change that we want to see in people. But the truth is, only God can do that. Only God can bring a spiritual transformation in a person's life. And God works on his own schedule, doesn't he? God works deliberately, he works slowly, and so that requires us to be patient and watchful, looking for where God is at work. As a campus missionary to international students, I would love at one of our events to see dozens of students respond to our invitation to a Discovery Bible study. If you want to know what a Discovery Bible study is, I can explain it after the service. But this is our general way of inviting people to see what the God of the Bible is about, to go on a spiritual journey with us to discover who God is and discover his love. We would love it if dozens of students would respond to our invitation. But it's often two students or three students or sometimes just one student at a time. And so the key for me and members of our team is to consistently show love and generosity to all students. Because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus would feel compassion for them. And through that compassion, he would show them love, he would serve them, he would be generous to them. And so by his power, we try to do the same thing. Relationships based on trust and authenticity are the key to effectively sharing the good news of the kingdom. It's absolutely vital. I've been in ministry for a while. I never like to position myself as an expert, but based on my experience, I've seen the most fruit through trusting, authentic relationships with unbelievers. Jesus saw people, he saw us, and saw that we were like sheep without a shepherd. We were discouraged, we were without guidance and he responded to us with compassion. And we should do the same. And then finally, you might call this like the, uh, the aha moment <laughs> of the passage, is that Jesus revealed the need for more workers. From a spiritual perspective, regardless of what you might read or hear, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus tells the disciples there's no shortage of people who are searching for abundant life, who are searching for freedom from bondage. They just don't know where to find it. And the real need is for more workers to go into their harvest field, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our schools, and do the work of sharing the gospel of the kingdom. So I don't have a picture of it, I'm sorry, I should have put a picture up there. But at our home, we have a garden in our backyard. And my wife, Kathy, loves to plant vegetables and flowers in the garden every year. And it's always kind of exciting because, you know, you plant a little bit of this, you plant a little bit of that, you kind of, you know, stake things out and, you know, make the certain areas. But you never really know what's going to come up from year to year. You never really know what's going to happen after you plant the seed. So it's kind of exciting. And so one of the things she always looks forward to is to go in the backyard and seeing what fruit is being produced, what's plentiful in our crop this year. Well, this particular year, 2023, we had a bountiful harvest of cucumbers and tomatoes. Anybody like tomatoes in here? Okay. Yeah, a lot of you like tomatoes, okay. So we had lots and lots of tomatoes. We had so many tomatoes, we had way more than we could ever eat. And so my wife would go on these uh, social media websites and she would post, hey, we have free tomatoes, all you have to do is pick them up at our house. And so there were lots of people over the summer that would just come and pick up tomatoes. There was one person that uh, brought us jalapeno peppers from their garden in exchange for the tomatoes, so we had lots and lots of tomatoes and cucumbers. It was a bountiful harvest for us in our backyard. But what would happen if nobody in our family went into the backyard to harvest the vegetables? What would happen? They would rot, exactly. They would rot on the vine. And that doesn't sound very appealing, doesn't look very appealing, to have the fruit that's supposed to be harvested rot on the vine. So what would happen in a spiritual realm if there aren't enough workers to harvest the souls in God's harvest field? What would happen to those troubled, wayward souls if nobody goes to work in the harvest field? I don't know how many of you are into data, but I have some data for you. Uh, that represents the need for cross-cultural ministry workers. Now, again, as a campus director with ISI, of course I'm going to talk about international students, but that's not where I'm going to (laughs) start. I'm going to start with immigrants, okay? So I looked at some data from the World Population Review, and this is a little bit older because um, they didn't have complete data on more recent years, but if you go back to 2020, the U.S. granted legal permanent resident status to over 700,000 immigrants. Three of the top five countries of origin for these new residents were India, China, and Vietnam. Those are places where there's lots of people who need to hear the gospel of the kingdom. Let's talk about international students. So there's an organization called Open Doors that produces data every year on the number of international students currently studying in the U.S. and the number of new international students who came and enrolled, and they also track the data from year to year so we can see different trends. It's really, really helpful for us. So in 2021, over 260,000 new international students came to U.S. colleges and universities, and of those 260,000, over 50 percent were students that originated in China or India. Again, places where people need to hear the gospel of the kingdom of God. So that's what's most strategic and most exciting about the work that we do with ISI, is it's not hard for us to meet somebody from another culture, and it's typically not hard for us to meet somebody who's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, who's never encountered somebody that is a true, authentic, follower of Jesus. That's exciting, but it also underscores the need for more workers. Just as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is outside the the scripture text, but what's interesting to me is Jesus tells the disciples, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. And then the very next verse, the Bible doesn't tell us whether they were obedient to that or not. It doesn't tell us that, hey, the disciples gathered on a mountainside and they prayed for more workers. The very next verse, Jesus commissions the disciples themselves and gives them the authority to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and to heal diseases and to cast out demons. He basically gives them the authority that God gave to him and sends them out. So this is maybe a word of caution to you today, is that if you begin to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into the harvest field, to go and meet those wayward souls that need to know Jesus, you might become the answer to your own prayer, just like the disciples you might become somebody that God calls to go into the harvest field. Now, I'm not saying that to discourage you in any way from praying. In fact, if you don't hear anything else that I say for the rest of today, hear this. We need to be praying for more workers, okay? There are nearly 8,000 international students just at Rutgers University alone. We need more workers. There's other missions organizations that need workers all over the world. We need to be praying for more workers. But sometimes God has a sense of humor. Okay, I wouldn't be doing a very good job of communicating if I didn't tell you at least one student story. So I'm going to tell you the story of one life that was transformed through the ministry of ISI. This is a young lady, Ying Zhou, who we met in 2012. Now, we no longer do this, but we used to have a very effective ministry of picking up students at Newark Airport. And so we met Ying on an airport pickup in 2012 on the first day that she arrived in the U.S. And this doesn't always happen this way, but when Ying arrived that day in the U.S., she had no place to stay. She didn't have anything set up with anybody through Rutgers, she didn't have an apartment to rent, she had nowhere to go. So my wife and I said, hey, why don't you come home with us? You know, we know you need a few days to figure things out, so why don't you just come and and come to our home and you can stay there as as long as you need to. So she came to our house and my wife, who has the gift of hospitality, did all these wonderful things for Ying. Uh, She got her um, food from the Asian market that would have been familiar to her, that she enjoyed. Uh, We took her around so that she could try to find an apartment to live in. Um, there's a whole lot of other things that happen. I'll just tell you this quick little story. So, one of the things that she needed to do is she needed to go to IKEA uh, to furnish her new apartment. And so, as many of you are familiar, IKEA is in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And because of when she arrived, we were still doing airport pickups of other students that were arriving that needed a ride from Newark to Rutgers. And so, I think I was picking up other students that day, and so it was easy enough for me to drop Ying and a couple of her friends off at IKEA. And as I'm dropping them off, Ying says to me, what do we do when we're done? Like, you know, how do we get our stuff, you know, back to where it needs to go? And I don't know why I said this, but this is just the thought that occurred to me at the time, is I said, Ying, just think of it as your dad dropping you off at IKEA, okay? And whenever you're ready, it doesn't matter when it is, you just call me and I'll come back and I'll pick you up and your stuff and take you where it needs to go. Well, it wasn't too long after that that Ying just started to refer to me as Daddy because I had said that to her. So that was just a funny story about our relationship, but it wasn't too long after that that uh, Thanksgiving was coming up. And a lot of international students want to experience an authentic American Thanksgiving with Americans, and so we hosted her in our home that year for Thanksgiving. Uh, We began to make invitations to students to participate in a Discovery Bible study, and Ying participated with some other Chinese students in a Discovery Bible study. Um, Then when Easter rolled around, it was another great opportunity for us to say, hey, this is a holiday that we celebrate, and this is why we celebrate it, because our King, our Savior, Jesus, rose from the dead and so we, we invited her to our home for Easter. You get the idea, she spent a lot of time with our family. She became very precious to us, and I think we became very precious to her. So inevitably, as students do, she graduated in 2014, and she found a job here in the US, she worked for a while. Uh, this, picture, this picture is actually from when she was volunteering with us to go pick up other new students. So this is like one of our delights in the ministry, is that we meet somebody for the first time, they become involved in our ministry, they start to you know, develop curiosity about you know, what Christians do and why they do it, and then they begin to participate with us in meeting other new students, which is fantastic. That's exactly the way that we want it to work. And so this picture was taken um, as we were about to go on another airport pickup uh, with Ying as one of our volunteers. Okay, so Ying had a job. She didn't have a job that would really um, enable her to stay in the US. A lot of companies won't sponsor um, foreign students with the right visa for them to be able to stay. So she had to go back to her home country. But she missed Rutgers so much, she wanted to come back. And so she came back in 2016 to pursue another degree. And so it was round two for Ying at Rutgers in 2016. She came back to Rutgers, uh, and I think, if I'm remembering the story correctly, it was on another airport pickup that she met a young student from China named Ye Yuan, who, and they began dating. They uh, were in a dating relationship. And then, in 2018, I got the immense privilege of officiating their wedding, uh, so I got to, be there and be the person that um, asked them to say their vows um, as they united in marriage. Um, And now they're living in the Seattle area, Uh, they have a beautiful daughter and another baby on the way. Uh, But this is just one student's life that was impacted by the ministry of ISI, and again, We happen to be the ones that God used in Ying's life, but God can use any of you in a similar way to have an incredible friendship, an authentic friendship through which you share about your faith in Jesus and invite that student to discover the hope of Jesus for themselves. So this is something that is very exciting, and, and I think is incredibly special about our ministry, is that it provides opportunities for cross-cultural friendships. This picture is with another good friend of ours uh, from India, her name is Sakshi. Uh, she was a PhD student, so he was, she was here for like five years. Um, but yeah, we have a very good friendship with her. Cross-cultural friendships promote awareness of cultural differences, and how we can learn to appreciate the values of friends from other nations. So through these friendships, I learned a lot about myself and the way I operate according to my own cultural values and how that's different from the way a lot of other students operate. Let me give a few examples. So being an American, living in New Jersey, I'm very time sensitive. So when I say, I'm going to pick you up, at 12:30, my expectation is they're going to be there at 12:30 because I have other things to do in my day. I can't just wait around for somebody. Students from India—they're on a different time schedule. Yeah, they're on a different time schedule, um, and so it forced me to just really relax. You know, like I say, hey, I'm going to pick you up at this time, but I know it could be 10 minutes later. It could be 15 minutes later. I just have to relax, you know, because whenever they get there, I'm gonna be there, you know? I wanna show them hospitality. So whenever they arrive, hey, that's when I'm gonna be there. And what was really fun is for a few years we participated with the Indian Graduate Student Association at Rutgers in their events. So we would partner with them, like they would have a Diwali event, which was almost like a talent show. They would have a lot of students like sing and dance and do all these kind of things. And they would say, hey, the event is going to begin at 7 p.m. But after a few years, my wife and I figured out it's not going to begin at 7 p.m. We can get there at 7.20, we can get there at 7.30. You know, it's, it's not really going to begin when they say it's going to begin because they're just on a different time schedule, you know. One thing we learned though is that regardless of the culture that the students come from, one thing that almost always establishes a good relationship Is food. Food is like universal. Everybody loves to eat, everybody loves to share their favorite foods from their own culture, so there were lots of times that we would meet students from India and we would find out, because they usually uh, rent off-campus apartments, and so there's like four or five students living together, we would find out who are the cooks in the apartment, who are the cooks in this group, and once we found that out we'd say, hey, we would love to experience some food from your culture. And so we would meet students at their apartments, we would share food, and that was one of the best ways for us to begin building those authentic relationships of trust was through just having meals together, something that everybody seems to enjoy. The other thing that we learned about international students, and this has gotten probably more prevalent over the years, is that they are success oriented. They are driven to be successful. So I'm not gonna make any disparaging comments about the American education system because my kids are the products of American education system, but some of these kids from other countries, man, they are rocking it in math. They are rocking it in science. I mean, they are driven to be successful in these subjects. They wanna get into the best schools and they want to be successful in life. And so, many of them, that's why they pursue coming to the U.S. to an American college or university, because in their minds, that's their best pathway to success, is to get a degree from one of the best universities in the world. And so that's why they come here. And one of the things that we noticed is that almost from the day that they arrive, they're thinking about the next steps that they need to make in order to be successful? What's the professor that I need to do a research assistantship with? What's the internship that I need to find next summer so that I can get good work experience? They're driven to success. And so sometimes that can be an obstacle to spiritual discovery, but sometimes it can be a help. So one of the things that we learned, this is why I highlighted earlier, being patient and watchful when it comes to God's work because these students are driven, so as a result of that, they're busy. They're busy all the time. And so a lot of times we wondered, like, is God working in this student's heart? Like, what's going on? So it taught us to be patient. And we also learned that sometimes they might go through their entire time as students at Rutgers and show very little spiritual interest. It was only after they graduated and got their first job that they really started to seek after spiritual truth. They really became aware of their need for meaning, for purpose. And so some of these relationships we began to understand needed to be long-term relationships. They needed to extend beyond the time that they were students. And some of our volunteers are excellent at this, at maintaining those relationships over time, which is now easier to do than ever because of Zoom and cell phones and all the technology that we have. So we have to be patient, we have to be watchful. Cross-cultural friendships give us the chance to communicate that Jesus is for all people. Amen? Amen. Regardless of your cultural and ethnic identity, Jesus is for all people. You see, there's this perception among students from certain parts of the world, particularly Asia, that Christianity is an American religion. It's, you know, all Christians are Americans, and you're a Christian because you live in America. And so it's a chance for us to communicate that Jesus wasn't American. Jesus was Jewish, and he lived in a certain time period in history, and his life and death and resurrection opens up the door for faith and to experience God's grace to people from any ethnicity, any culture. It doesn't matter where you're from. Jesus is for all people. And for some of them, it takes them a long time to really accept that because, you know, these beliefs that we have, and and we had them too at one point, these beliefs that we have, sometimes they're cemented in our minds and in our hearts, and it's hard to kind of break through that, but God's truth can do it as you begin to show them the truth about Jesus and communicate that, you know, God's plan of redemption is not just for certain people, it's for everybody. God said that he would bless all nations of the earth through the seed of Abraham, and he's doing that. We see evidence of that as people from different countries, different ethnic identities, turn from what they've known before and profess their faith in Jesus. So cross-cultural friendships, to me, has been one of the greatest blessings of my life, just to be blunt about it. I've benefited so much from meeting people from other cultures and building those trusting relationships and seeing God transform the lives of students through those relationships. Yeah, so that leads us to the next slide. Um, The good news of Jesus is shared through authentic relationships. Now, this is something else that we learned through our international friends. As an American, I thought I knew what it meant to have a friendship, but I didn't, really. It took my international friends, these people from other cultures, to help me learn what it means to be a true friend. Let me give you an example. So, because I grew up in the States, because I grew up in a church culture, a lot of times the relationships that I had were with other Christians, right? Like, it just stands the reason. Like Most of the relationships that i built were with people that I met in a church context. And we would gather, like we've gathered today, on a Sunday morning, and we would worship together, we would pray together, we might read the Bible together. But then at some point during the day, we'd go back to our homes, to our neighborhoods, and then maybe we would have contact during the week, especially if we had a need for something, But typically, we wouldn't have a lot of contact during the week. Until when? The following Sunday, when we would gather again for worship and for prayer. And so one of the things that I had to learn about friendships is consistent, casual contact. So what that means is when I meet somebody from another culture and I want to demonstrate to them, hey, I would like to be your friend and I need to text them regularly for no reason at all just say hey how are you doing i need to look and listen for opportunities to get together with them that are not on a schedule you know like that's one of the things that we as americans were so tied to the schedule you know so sometimes that meant like finding out the students class schedule like when they would be on campus and so i would just show up at bush campus center because i knew they probably would be coming through at some point so initiating some consistent casual contact because for them that signified hey this person really wants to be my friend I also had to learn to be a really good listener because this is case in point I'm gonna talk to you guys for like 35 minutes without stopping I can talk to anybody you know but listening is an art, isn't it? Listening sometimes requires us to maybe even be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's absolutely key to developing authentic relationships because it shows that we're interested in the other person. What do they care about? What's important to them? What do they believe? And so I had to really learn to be a good listener, and I still haven't mastered it. I'm still learning. Because it's so difficult (laughs) to just stop talking and just listen to the other person and to just create some attentive space where they can just share, like whatever's going on. And certainly, I'm listening for points of connection. I I used to love it when I would meet a a Chinese student who was a basketball fan, because I'm a huge NBA basketball fan. And so, when I would meet a student that liked basketball, I said, Hey, who's your favorite NBA player? Who's your favorite NBA team? Like, that was a connection, right? But even when there's no initial connection, just granting that person the honor of being heard does a lot to establish the relationship. And so that was something else that I had to learn and I'm still learning. So no matter what point you're at in your cross-cultural awareness, in your desire for cross-cultural ministry you're on a path of learning. You're on a path of learning and for me it's taken me a really long time and I still have a long way to go but God is a patient teacher and he's still teaching me a lot about how to build cross-cultural relationships. So I hope that you've heard that the harvest is plentiful, because it is. I don't know what students that we've met so far this year are going to be the ones who are spiritually curious. I don't know what students are going to respond to the seeds that we're going to plant in their lives over the course of this academic year, but there are some there. I have no doubt about that. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, Yeah, we need workers. The workers are few. And so I'm gonna do my best to follow Jesus and trust Jesus and do what he recommended in Matthew chapter nine, to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out workers into his harvest field. I invite you to join with me in prayer right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you speak. Thank you for how you speak to our hearts through your word and through your spirit. And Lord, I thank you for the vision of Cornerstone Church, that they have a vision and a heart for taking the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. Lord, we're so thankful for that because we know that's your heart. Your heart is that people from every corner of the world every ethnic group would have a chance to come to know Jesus personally. And ISI is a small part of that. There are other organizations that have been established for years that you have blessed who are also a part of that. There's individuals who just go out on their own with no organization, but just a vision for taking the good news of the kingdom to people from another culture. And so Lord, we thank you that the harvest is plentiful. Thank you that you use ordinary people to do your work among the nations, to build friendships and to share authentically the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus said, the workers are few. And so we cry out to you right now that you would send out workers into your harvest field because we need them. Your kingdom needs them. And Lord, I still remember what it was like to hear that call in my own life and to respond to it and to see your grace and your faithfulness and your power in a way that I'm not sure that I I would have if you hadn't called. And so, Lord, we pray for workers to go into your harvest field, to reach out beyond themselves into spaces where they're uncomfortable, where they have to depend on you. And we pray that you would raise them up And I pray particularly for the younger generation that you would help them see the needs of this world and that, like Jesus, they would be moved with compassion and want to reach out with the love of Jesus to people who need to know you. So, Lord, we cry out to you for these workers. We pray that you would provide them, that you would send them out, that you would equip them, that you would fund them, and that through these workers, hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe millions of lives would be changed for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.